Hi there, and welcome to Headcanon. I'm Benjamin Light. And I'm Marco Sparks. And this is a podcast where we talk about kind of serialized film franchises. And right now, we've been working through the Harry Potter movies. Today, we're doing Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. How'd you feel about this movie, Marco? You know, um, I definitely liked it more than Order of the Phoenix and Goblet of Fire. Okay. Well, before we get into opening statements, uh, this is directed by David Yates again. Uh, Steve Clovis is back. This is the only movie he didn't write was the last one, Order of the Phoenix. He's back now. This movie had a two-year gap as opposed to the usual year-and-a-half gap. It was uh, July 2009 is when it came out, and uh, Order of the Phoenix was July 2007. So hmm. interesting they took a little more time than usual on this one. Hmm. This shows. So why don't you uh, lead us off with an opening statement? Uh, so mine will be very brief. Uh, this is the darkest romantic comedy of all time. Um, but definite upgrade in a lot of the visuals. I think uh, Yates got himself a, a different cinematographer. I want to say this is the only one that was ever nominated for Best Cinematography of the mm-hmm. Harry Potter series. Uh, some of the shots look exactly like what I would consider like Harry Potter film noir. Um, briefly, I like the symmetry. Uh, the second to last involving in, like a, a book and a link to the past. Um, it's weird because suddenly Ginny's a character with a presence and dialogue. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious to hear what you think, where you place this one, because I remember this movie, but then rewatching it in, the, in this series here, like I, I don't know, I was just much more pleasantly surprised. It's no Azkaban, obviously, but it's not bad. Visually, it's a lot nicer to look at, I think. All right. Well, uh, my my kind of general thoughts here, I think I, I find I'm a lot more forgiving when uh, the characters are on point. Mm. I think Yates still has problems telling a story, but uh, I definitely enjoyed watching this movie a lot more than I enjoyed watching Order of the Phoenix. Um, it was just nice to see all the characters interacting with each other and not just for plot reasons. It's kind of like, wow, character moments. What a, mm. what a concept. <laughs> um, now, if you think about like serialized narratives in movies, it's almost like a TV show. Mm. Uh, and pretty much all long-running TV shows, they become about the characters eventually. I mean, the plot is there, but the characters are kind of what keeps you going, what keeps you coming back. Um, so even though this is based on a series of books and whatnot, I think it is important that they actually you know, let the characters breathe a little. And I think it was a smart decision to actually just let us enjoy Harry and Ron and Hermione instead of trying to just like, how many plot points can we cram in? Mm. Uh, so I think those were some good decisions. I mean, if you're already resigned to like making these movies, assuming that people have read the books, then at least they give us a little more meat for the characters. Mm. I mean, this movie is basically a teen comedy with just like some heavy drama tacked on at the end. Mm. But I'll take it. Um, all that being said, I think Yates might actually be worse here as a storyteller than in Order of the Phoenix. Interesting. Um, he doesn't have his news montages to rely on. <laughs> and his continued employment baffles me. I just, I don't know. What I, I mean, I, I would say ultimately, ultimately pull punches. <laughs> ultimately, I, I enjoyed this movie more, more than Order of the Phoenix. It might be a worse movie. Do you want to insult the editor and his family at all? The editing was better in this movie, at least. Uh, I I have some issues with the cinematography, though, but we can get to that. Why don't, okay. we, why don't we focus on the positive here? Uh, top three moments. Uh, okay, let's see. What would be a good one? I, have, I wrote down a lot. I have two like actual scenes and a lot of tiny character moments. I'm going to go with my number three, which is basically 
Dumbledore having to drink the dark water to get the Horcrux. Um, it's it's something that I felt like he would never have seen in a Harry Potter movie, and it's heartbreaking, and it's really just tricks of lighting and like a great actor at work. All right. Um, if we're going in reverse, I guess I'll say my number three is when Harry says, but I am the chosen one, and he smirks, and then Hermione slaps him on the head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a, a lot of that in this movie, but that in particular I liked. Um, this this would have been the best season of the Harry Potter TV show, I think. It would yeah, have been it's when they like discovered hormones. Yeah, yeah. Um, my number two is going to be just the the reveal that Harry did not actually give Ron the liquid luck, um, and then and then like coupled with that, him going to comfort Hermione after she sees Ron kissing the girl and like ask how he how he deals with his unrequited love for Ginny because like of course Hermione's more dialed into that than Harry is himself. Um, so I, I gotta ask you, and in that scene, and you know, he's comforting her, and he's like, "It feels like this." Hmm. Did did he earn that? Like, are you really that heartbroken, Harry? I don't know. No, he's because he seems. The problem is that he doesn't seem as aware of it. It's almost like he's, like, like I mean, there's been touches of it, you know. I mean, earlier. I guess I feel like the, the almost, but then you know, failed attempt at a relationship between Hermione and Ron has a little more substance to it than. Harry and Ginny. At that point, it's like he just kind of has a crush on her. Yeah, because again, she's a character for the first time mm-hmm. ever. Even when she was a plot point in the second one. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's just that line. It's like it feels like this. It's like oh, whatever, Harry. Yeah. Well, but Harry's. I feel like Harry. You know, being the chosen one, being so self-centered. I'm sure that's how he would phrase it, though. Qu- quick question before I get to my number two. Um. Do you know why Harry is the chosen one? Like just from from watching the movies, has that been made clear? Because it's really hard for me to judge that. It's implied it's because of the prophecy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, my number two favorite moment is just the whole sequence at the three broomsticks and Hogsmeade. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hermione is seemingly getting drunk. Yeah. Um, And Slughorn, I really like Slughorn here, where he spills his beer and he's just like, oh, all hands on deck, Ranger. Uh, I really (laughs) like Jim Broadbent in this movie. And he's kind of perfect, like bumbling, but not complete idiot type of character. Um, I just love it. It felt like such a natural moment, like exactly the kind of thing that somebody like Slughorn would do. The craziest part is I was just reading that the initial choice was Bob Hoskins. Oh, which baffles me (laughs) because. Jim Broadbent is doing here is like at times annoying but perfect, and other times very understated because he has a big he has like the most anime face of like old English white guys. Um, I mean, it's like like cartoon ways he telegraphs like heartbreak and and you know shame mm-hmm. so so simply. Well, what is, well, part reason why I love him in Cloud Atlas. Yeah, yeah, his character reminded me a little bit of his character in Cloud Atlas. What did you think of? In that scene, Hermione kind of she gets this look of disappointment on her face when uh, Ron tells her about the foam on her mouth. I, I didn't take it as disappointment. I took it as embarrassment. It was an embarrassment. Okay, I guess if if okay. I were to go redo that scene, I would have put in a visual joke where like like I feel like they missed the boat here because they're looking over at Jenny and and Dean there making out. If they had done something where like maybe Jenny had some foam on her mouth and like. Like Dean, like you know, brushes it off or something like that. Like something where like Hermione is trying to set up her own situation so, and it fails. So just sticking the knife in the Hermione's gut a little more. I guess because I wasn't quite sure what her reaction was supposed to mean at the end of that. Because I guess I didn't get embarrassment. It seemed like she was like hoping 
that the foam on her mouth would lead somewhere. I don't, I don't know what, but it, it seemed like kind of a weird end. But then I did like when she was just basically like stumbling around drunk afterwards and like throwing her arms around both of them. Uh, it was a very like yeah. subtle Hermione movie. Like she, she wants to put her arms around Ron, but she has to, you know, bring Harry in there too to kind of get away with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the feeling I got with those two characters, if I focus solely on them and not the broader mix of storylines here, is like by the end of this year of school, it's like, kids, how long can that penny stay in the air? (laughs) I mean, by this point, aren't they both pretty aware of their feelings? Come on. Yeah, we can we can discuss that more later. But uh, why don't you get to your number one? Um, I gotta pick from all these like little character moments that I have here. I think, um, I'm gonna go with oddly. And that's a very odd choice. Um, it's not necessarily my number one. It's my last choice. I should have done this in reverse. Sorry. Uh, it's it's the the first train ride home for the holidays. It was lavender's blowing on the glass to write her <laughs> and Ron's initials, and Harry's like trying to focus on the seats because it's so awkward. <laughs> Like, there's a lot of, like, like subtle little humor that I feel like Radcliffe is, is experimenting with. Like, maybe he was, mm-hmm. you know, on extras for the first time or whatever. So he's, like, he's trying to be funny and as opposed to just angry. Um, that'll be, I guess that'll be my moment. I have a lot of little moments like that that I collected. That I well, you know, if we can get to that in the general discussion. If, if Ron was, you know, a little bit smoother, he would have gotten up and just changed that L to an H. And there you go. Whoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just throwing out that tip for you, Ron. That's that's in front of Lavender. No, like after she leaves, like oh, before Hermione walked up, or maybe even if like if you could have gotten Hermione to stick around to see him change it, you know. All right, sorry, Lavender, but so uh, I was reading that, uh, like I guess the character of Lavender has been in the not just the books but the movies previously, that she's mm-hmm. always been played by like a non-white actress. <laughs> yeah, she was black previously. I'm not sure if it's mentioned what ethnicity she is in the books. I really don't recall one way or the other, but previously in the movie she was black and then now she's white. Mm. It's not like a, like a Rue thing from the Hunger Games. Um, I don't but, recall. I mean, if, if it's mentioned, it's not something I ever noticed. But I mean, like, if you want to talk about things that you would never pick up on, you know, mm-hmm. you hadn't read the books, I had no fucking idea Lavender was anywhere in these movies prior to this. <laughs> yeah, she's a... Uh, she's not uh, named, you know. Parvati's friend, she's like her and Parvati are like the like Trelawney like okay. uh, groupies basically. They're little fangirls. Okay. Hmm. Uh, so my number one, poof. Uh, I really like that moment where it's you're talking about the you know the fish that disappeared and uh, Slughorn's talking about you know you're just you're going along and then poof, mm-hmm. and then uh, Hagrid says poof and then Harry says poof and it's just like. Just this 180 degree turn of emotion in the scene. It's it's not easy to accomplish that well, and I think they did a great job. I wish they didn't then cut back to Harry like smiling again in the next shot. Yeah, because um, I, I just uh, throw that cut out because it it changes the whole dynamic of the scene suddenly. Um, and I think anytime you can remind us of the original tragedy that's at the heart of the story and, and make us feel that you're doing something right. So I really like that moment. I think a lot of that is is contingent on. Jim Broadbent's performance, though. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, I guess I guess that's the thing with British people is we sing when we get drunk and <laughs> want to like remember the good times. Um, but like uh, prior to that, you know, Dumbledore's tasked Harry with this goal of getting this information about this hidden memory from from Slughorn. Harry is horrible at it oh, up until that point when it's like he's at least smart enough to jump on an opportunity. 
Well, what I liked about the moment was that, yeah, I mean, it, it's set up by Broadbent, but it's a really good line reading and just acting by Radcliffe there. When he says poof, it's like it's it's suddenly occurring to him what the what they're really talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's just like a, a really good dramatic shift. And I think everyone in that scene did a great job. So in retrospect, the only people who like James Potter were his bros. Everyone yeah. else loved Lily. Like, yeah, throwing basically. her life away. Lily was she was very kind, much like Harry, where at last James well, Potter was just kind of a dick. <laughs> Harry has her eyes. I like that Harry's like, yeah, I fucking heard that already. I got her eyes. <laughs> Shit. Well, this is why I wish they'd included a little bit more in Snape's worst memory to get that contrast where Harry's like, because because Lily like hates James in that kind of like little flashback in the Pensieve, mm. or not, I'm not sorry, not Harry, um, Lily. Uh, Lily wants nothing to do with James Potter and Harry like doesn't understand it. He's like, I don't understand why did they ever get married? And it's like, you know, Sirius and, and Lupin are trying to explain to him like, you know, things changed. Your father became less of a douche. <laughs> um, speaking of Snape, uh, can I ask like in the book, uh, do you want to go to source material now? Cause I, not yet. Have... no, we, we've got complaints to talk about. Okay. Have at it. <laughs> uh, my number one, and I, you know, I got got some shits from some people on Twitter. They they uh, don't like my negativity. I'm sorry. I, I really like the source material. I just have issues with the filmmaking. They uh, don't like your negativity on the last movie in particular, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. A lot of people liked Order of Phoenix. I'm not really sure why, but uh, anyway, my my number one complaint: the cinematography in this movie is just way too fucking dark. Mm, it is. It is super dark. And there are shots where it's I don't know, like. It's like way more concerned with just like looking neat than necessarily communicating something mm-hmm. um, or like it's trying to like just it's pretentious almost. It's trying to be too artsy. Uh, Yates apparently hired the cinematographer because uh, this guy can make a frame look like a Rembrandt. And my question to David Yates would be, why? <laughs> what 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 does that mean to the story? Like you just say, oh, I wanted to look like a Rembrandt. Why? Why a Rembrandt? What? You know, I mean. One of our, you know, directors that we like, who's also his TV director, Norman Buckley, he's talked about uh, trying to bring in a like a Hopper influence uh, mm. on Pretty Little Liars. And that makes sense thematically, psychologically. It's like, oh, yeah, there's like similar themes that you could translate from these paintings to this, you know, visual medium. What exactly is Rembrandt? Like what what themes are you trying to take from him? Well, put Hopper, on this movie? I would say, too, it's not like color is foreign to hopper he's he's mm-hmm. an expert especially at the, the the darker tones because they're not too dark they'll translate to any quality of screen norman buckley's other smart genius thing is that you should be able to watch a tv show with the sound off and mm-hmm. still get a pretty good idea of what's going on and i would say the same thing for for a movie for the most part but yeah it's the when i think rembrandt specifically named I think is Yates trying to like hang frames of this movie on the walls of of Hogwarts. But what does that mean though? Like why? Like I asked my my sister's an art history major, and I was just like, "What? What are like the like the dominant themes of Rembrandt?" And she's like, "Ah, oh, he doesn't really have any, you know. Like, like at least like psychologically, emotionally, like what are we trying to communicate by saying this movie looks like a Rembrandt, other than that it just looks like a Rembrandt?" I think Rembrandt's that artist you throw out when you wanna. Sound smarter than you are, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I mean, can here. you imagine? I mean, if we want to play that game, can you imagine the Harry Potter Picasso? 
even if it was Picasso, at least he could say like these are the the dominant themes and ideas in in this period of Picasso, and so perhaps you know this is supposed to reflect the character's emotions or something like that. He should have th- he should have gone with the the full on film noir thing and been like this is my German expressionism movie or whatever. Um, a lot of lot of shadow play, a lot of silhouettes. Um, the a lot of like we stopped it down two steps. For yeah, some yeah. What even you know even Fincher who who like lives in the dark in half his movies mm-hmm. still there's there's a richness there it's not like you're just staring at a black screen you're not just like squinting yeah 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 exactly wondering like if your prescription has gone bad um the i mean the sequence you know what they're looking for for voldemort's horcrux is a great sequence it is utterly way too dark in parts mm-hmm. um and half of that is intentional but yeah yeah all right well what, what any complaints from you um no i felt like that this was the one for me where it seemed like the most was left out from the book Hmm. that was that's always been my my complaint even well before we started this podcast was whenever i would talk about the six one i always felt like this was the one where I, i as much as the movie works for me i always feel like i don't know there's like footsteps that lead off the page or off the off the the frame to like some other detail that I, I'm just not aware of here. Well, you know, my number two complaint is that we don't get enough backstory on Voldemort and the Horcruxes. So mm-hmm. I think that kind of ties into what you're saying. I mean, do you feel like we know who Voldemort is after this movie? Not really. I mean, they're they're hinting that there's a backstory with the the whole thing with Ray Fiennes' like uh, nephew or whatever. I mean, do you do you know like what Voldemort fears the most? Love, death. I mean, that's a, he's he, he's afraid of dying. That's the purpose of the Horcruxes. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, but I mean, that that's like literally like that's a really strong like part of his character is that he fears death. Um, but I, I, you know, they, they didn't really capture that. I don't think. Yeah. yeah. Oh, something about the I guess he's fitting the uh, the new Tom Riddle, like uh, teenage Tom Riddle. Great voice. Something about him, I just I want to punch him in the face though. I, you know, the other guy was like 30. He wanted to come back and they're like, no, you're too old. I would have been fine with it. I like that been guy. Fine with it. Yeah, I liked him a lot. Was it like I think Christopher Colson or Christian Colson? Something Christian like Colson, that? yeah. yeah. Um, it's not that this guy was bad by any means. Like I said, his voice was like velvety menace. <laughs> like sh- flirtatious velvety menace. I should mention one of our listeners, Rebecca, threw out Harry Lloyd as a teenage Voldemort. Uh, you might know oh, him yeah. as a series. Yeah, yeah, he's he's been in, he's also got a well. So I remember him from a two part of Doctor Who. I'm he sure he's a, in like a million like British shows. Yeah, he's got a he can have a really weird voice. He would have been great too because he has like weird eyes, <laughs> weird intense gaze eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So my my last complaint is that Ginny's character and her whole romance with Harry, mm-hmm. it just I feel like it doesn't land. Uh, it's it's kind of flat, and I think a lot of the blame for that is because they never set her up properly in previous movies, uh, especially Chamber of Secrets and, and really The Order of the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is where J.K. Rowling was like so so good about setting things up before they mattered, which is why you could bring a, a character like Ginny kind of like slowly more into the forefront, mm-hmm. and the, the filmmakers don't do that with characters. And so suddenly it's like, Who's this character? Oh, it's Ginny. And like, 
Harry likes her all of a sudden. We don't really know why. Uh, just kind of, I don't know. I don't, I don't think they did a very good job. Well, the, the height of confusion is in her very first scene where she is alone in the frame, completely like void of anyone else, anyone else you've seen before. Mm-hmm. And she's like asking about Harry. And yeah, I think probably if I remember correctly back the first time I watched this, I was thinking, who the fuck is this chick? Is this yeah. like Jenny's older sister? Well, and it's like Harry immediately is like, like, like infatuated with her. Yeah. For some reason, we don't really know why. Um, and I mean, it's obviously that's not easy to portray on screen, but. Oh, I mean, they portray it just fine. It's, but still, you're right. It doesn't, it doesn't land. Well, you can portray the infatuation, but not so much the why. It doesn't feel earned. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's bits in the book where like he, he, you know, he hangs out with him for like over a month, I think at the burrow. Mm -hmm. And it's like him and Hermione and Harry and, uh, him and Hermione and, and Ron and Ginny, they'll go practice playing Quidditch. Mm. Uh, and then like Hermione's she's the worst so she's on Harry's side and it's just like two on two and it's they're all laughing and having a good time and you can you could see how you could take a scene like that and Harry's like having a really good time joking with Jenny and kind of build on that mm-hmm. but instead it's suddenly just like nope he likes her yeah anyway those are my main three complaints okay so let's talk about the source material because I think you had a lot of questions about that I have one ginormous question um do they go into more about no the Snape thing being the Half Blood Prince? It's something to do with like his mom's maiden name or something like that, right? His mother was Eileen Prince. Yeah. Okay, that that's in the book though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because <laughs> he's just like I'm the Half Blood Prince, and then he just like sashays off. Well, and... that whole reveal is so just like perfunctory. It's like, oh, by the way, we we should mention what the Half Blood Prince is. Well, I felt like. You would have been fine. They were doing good building it when the moment when Snape finds Draco and has to heal him. And there, I felt like Alan Rickman conveyed that he recognized this in a way that only he can. But yeah, at the end, with all everything that's going on, it's a very busy ending. Even though it's, it's very compact, it's very like uh, uh, rapid. <laughs> but like then he's just like, I'm the half of the prince. And he just walks off. And it's like, I'm sorry, what? I have more questions. Yeah. Agree. Hmm. Uh, you know, there is one thing I, I forgot to bring this up in the source material section of the last podcast, but there is this great bit in Order of the Phoenix where Harry's having basically like career advice with McGonagall and mm-hmm. Umbridge is just there observing mm-hmm. and he, he wants to be an R and McGonagall's like, well, you're going to need really good grades and all these subjects. And uh, Umbridge is basically just like, why are you even getting this idiot's hopes up? He'll never like succeed. You know, he'll never get the grades he needs. And McGonagall's just like, I will make it my life's mission to make sure he becomes an R just to fuck you. Uh, and it's a really, it's just, I really like McGonagall. Like she's, she's never maternal towards Harry, but she's always in his corner, which I, I like. Let, let me tell you, I would donate $200,000 to charity if, uh, <laughs> If if Maggie Smith would say that line exactly like that, <laughs> <laughs> I mean she basically does, except for the uh, the f bomb at the end. She's basically like, "I will do everything I can to make sure Harry becomes an R." Wouldn't McGonagall be so much better with profanity? <laughs> Probably, yeah. But she, I mean, McGonagall, she wouldn't curse around a student. Oh. Uh, gosh. Um. Just uh, just a few minor moments that I wish they could have included from the books. I mean, obviously, you can't go over every major change because the differences are massive. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there is a bit they they kind of set something up and they never fall through on it when harry first meets slughorn and he mentions like uh you know one of my best friends is muggleborn she's the best in our year and so that that sets up for later i think it's at the christmas party or it could be sooner maybe it's in potions class but slughorn he's talking to hermione and he he realizes i, I think he like asks her like you know like who your parents are in the wizarding world and she's like oh they're muggles and he he's like oh and he kind of he repeats the line that harry told him and he goes oh one of my best friends is muggle-born she's the best in our year harry was talking about you and it was a really nice moment of course hermione's like beaming over it but it kind of shows how much harry respects her mm-hmm. um i just i don't know i wish i could have included that i mean they, I they, they were like halfway there and they just needed to follow up on it it's funny as i i believe that we talked about it in a previous episode it's funny that none of our favorite moments so far have included the uh, at the the supper club or whatever when uh, oh the slug club yeah the slug club when she talks about her what her parents do Dennis mm-hmm. and like the look Harry gives anyone like step up go ahead and say <laughs> something say something I dare you yeah. Harry Potter bitch I'm chosen um <laughs> I just but Jim Brabet sells is that dangerous work mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I wish instead of taking that angle they'd they'd worked in the bit about you know harry and his compliment for her mm. uh let's see what else we got we're on such an asshole in this book and he's he's a huge asshole in the book he's probably a slightly smaller asshole in the movie he's he's much there's not a lot of ron in this movie which i appreciate but uh it's a fair amount of ron I, I like the fact that you have like that last scene with the three of them where ron doesn't have a single line of dialogue because he doesn't need it you know, it is, it is kind of awkward when they're like cutting to like reactions to Dumbledore's death. It's like, here's a long shot of Hermione crying. Mm-hmm. And then it never even like pans over to Ron. He's just like halfway out of frame. Yeah. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, but yeah, Ron, God, he's such a dick. And, uh, Hermione, I, I feel like they, they both tried to make Ron and Hermione a little more. Like, they, they kind of, like, soften the edges a little bit in the movie. Like, Ron is just a huge dick in the book. And Hermione's, like, retribution is calculated and vicious. It's not like, oh, I accidentally took, uh, you know, McLaglin to, to the party. It's like, she specifically sought out the person that she knew would upset Ron the most. Uh, and she, like, basically is, like, furious for months on end and, like, refuses to speak to Ron. Holy shit, that guy, though. Oh, that guy. Oh. Yeah, I we'll get to him in the general discussion because I have I have some thoughts on that guy. Does the whole so okay? You talk about that part, but like, does the whole thing of lavender, all that stuff, play out exactly the same in the book? Similar, okay. um, similar thing everything. where, uh, well, the breakup is a bit different. Uh, it's funny, like the the Felix Felicitas potion thing that like causes all kinds of shit to happen the way Harry wants it to. He. He basically it results in Ron and Lavender breaking up. It results in Ginny and Dean breaking up. Like a bunch of different stuff all happens because of uh, his little potion there. I'm just thinking to myself, like, hey, Voldemort, don't even focus on the Horcruxes. Like, mm-hmm. just get some of this fucking liquid luck shit going for you. Yeah, there's some very kind of hand wavy lampshading stuff in the book as to why you wouldn't always take this. I, I, there has to be because after time turners, or possibly even more than time turners, this seems like the greatest weapon there is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it takes six months to brew, and it's like if you take too much, you kind of get like this like luck high or something. I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of like don't ask hearing, questions. I'm yeah. not hearing a downside. I know. <laughs> 
Hmm. Let's see. Um, the scenes at the burrow over the holiday, hmm. they just felt superfluous. Um, the whole, like, we had to have, like, Mr. Weasley come and, like, give a big neon sign pointing at the vanishing cabinet just to make sure you understood that plot point. They were all the rage during Voldemort's rise to power. Mm-hmm. All the rage. <laughs> and then the whole attack and action scenes never followed up on. Uh, it shouldn't even be able to happen because of, like, the various magical protections. And Harry is, like, just acts, like, totally stupid and reckless, like, chasing Bellatrix like that. Like, I Oh, he's know. ready to be a magic cop. I mean, all, the, all that that bit is not in the book for a reason because it makes no sense and it has no impact on the larger it's, plot. That's why I'm all for the Harry Potter magical cop show or magical cop ours. Yeah. I, I mean, like he figured he's got like the, uh, the like not very good at his job, but like overweight partner that he loves who dies in the first scene. And like, Harry's got a, <laughs> got to like avenge him. But also he gets like paired with like a, like a teenage wonder can, like an Anna Kendrick from up in the air. And it's like, Harry's like, I work alone. <laughs> you really thought this out. Oh, I can tell you exactly where the second movie goes because the end of the first movie, he finds out that the grand conspiracy he's hunting down leads back to Hogwarts. So, boom, movie two, he has to take over his defense against dark arts teacher, root out the uh, the bad guy, whatever the connection is. Hmm. It'd be fun. I think that's a fanfic you could write. It's a fun fun trilogy. Yeah. Uh, a couple more notes, just the uh, book oh, changes. But, sorry, sorry, that moment. Is it written in the book that Tonks has crazy 80s hair? Um, I well, Tonks can change her hair. I think, okay. as, you, as you've seen um, in the books, she looks kind of like ashen and mousy mm-hmm. because they cut out a whole plot line where she's basically in love with Lupin, but he doesn't like he's he likes her, but has rejected her because you know he's a werewolf and he doesn't want to like ruin her life by dating her. And so Tonks is just like a sad bastard through the whole book. And it's kind of like one of those mysteries because you never know why. And Harry thinks it's because Sirius died and and uh, Sirius was her cousin. And so mm-hmm. the, he thinks that that's why she's so sad all the time. But it's actually because of Lupin. Um, OK, I mean, and the so, movie, instead in the movie, they're just together. And, yeah, they're together. I mean, I liked uh, I liked the way they portrayed like Remus's lycanthropy here and how he manages it. Did you like the line? Let me find the line because I wrote it down because there's some fun innuendo there. All right. Where's my innuendo note? Oh, yeah. Tonk says to Lupin, the first night in the cycle is always the worst. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, there's some other innuendo I got coming out, too. That's uh, I don't know if he caught. There's a certain line. Let me find it. I'll just give it to you now. Uh, Hermione, she's ordering at the uh, three broomsticks there. You might not have caught this because it's off camera because David Yates doesn't know what he's doing. Hmm. Um, but she says, three butterbeers and some ginger in mine, please. hey Oh, oh. Jesus. Get that? Yeah, I got that. That's... that's ugh. Mm-hmm. Ugh. I mean, it's, that's that's like the subtle one. I mean, there's the most obvious one that Ron himself delivers later. Well, which one's that? After uh, they get rid of the book. Oh, I don't remember that. What is it? It's not really like innuendo. It's, uh, I can stay hidden up here too if you like. And then the next line is, so did you and Ginny do it then? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Harry's like, like, what? Oh, shit. What? It's like, bitch, I didn't even get tongue. All right. Uh, let's see. In the books, uh, Slughorn, he's a little bit scummier about Aragog. Um, he, in the movie, he kind of asked for permission to get the venom. 
in the book, he basically just like swipes it and like Harry kind of covers for him. Mm. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, he's pretty sleazy in the book. The, uh, it's funny rewatching these so close together. When I first watched this, absolutely did not get the, the Aragog thing. Um, so when Slughorn in this one, when I watched this time, he says, did he have family? And he's <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> I mean, like, I kind of like, I don't know. I'd be, if I was Harry, I'd be a little upset that Hagrid's like still hanging out with this like scummy, uh, spider who like tried to kill him and Ron a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just, just generally, you'd think the wizarding world would have worked up a better exclamation other than Merlin's beard. That's a go-to. Uh, let's see. John D's ass. One one change that annoyed me a bit. Um, Dumbledore was not like when they finally get the real memory in the movie. Dumbledore says so he's like shocked by this. Uh, in the book, he's not. He in fact suspected the whole time that Riddle was making multiple Horcruxes. He knew what a Horcrux was. Well, he's he's and, just he's been carrying around two of them that have been defeated. So yeah, yeah, and he's <laughs> he's not shocked. It's it's basically the memory kind of confirms what he mm-hmm. suspected and it kind of gives him a number. Okay. There should be six other Horcruxes, mm-hmm. you know, plus Harry, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know the, the way Dumbledore is played. It seems like they're trying to make him more vulnerable than usual mm-hmm. when in the books. I mean, maybe it's just because it's through Harry's perception, but Dumbledore never really seems flustered right up until the potion scene. Um, right. It's like he, even getting, you know, facing down like Bellatrix and, and, Draco and whatnot on the the lightning struck tower there. He's always kind of in cool. command. Yeah, yeah. He's a cool, calculated motherfucker. And but then just Gandalf's taint. <laughs> one last bit. The potion is supposed to be glowing green. Anyone who's ever seen the Half Blood Prince book would know that. Hmm, okay, that's what's on the cover. I mean, I, I don't know how you fucked that up. Why make it this kind of weird blackish purple color that had like no real substance to it? It was still, it was still creepy though. I mean, it looked like, uh, I don't know, some kind of uh, sinister Kool Aid concoction. Mm. Also, like, why, why was the 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 cave like? It was like the chamber of, uh, or not the chamber, the fortress of solitude, basically. Like the evil like the visual design. Of yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like weird crystalline. Like I don't know. I actually had that in my notes. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's an obvious like visual reference. You're like, what? What's going on here? Like, is Superman going to show up? Yeah. Uh, evil Superman. Like, uh, the, the drunk Superman 3 Superman? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So, yeah, let's just go into general discussion. Sounds like he had a lot of little smaller bits. Oh, uh, real quick, I just read that uh, Yates had, had asked Wally Fister to do cinematography. Yeah, he can ask. I mean, Fister said, no, I'm doing The Dark Knight. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yours just... There's a couple, like, topics here I just want kind of want to discuss generally and get your take on. Okay. Um, what did you think of Snape's unbreakable vow scene towards the beginning? What did I think of it? Um, I, I had more, I had more questions about like how good the magicking world is at tracking people. Like, I don't know. It's just, I was more shocked that Pettigrew was there with Snape. Mm-hmm. Um, I like all the actors involved. It, I don't know. It just seemed. I don't know, like the the politics of people who dress like vampires, you know, and do magic just seemed strange to me on a social level. Why? I was just curious if you thought that scene was in the book or not. Oh, was it? It actually was. 
But it doesn't seem like it, right? Uh, because of the perspective? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and just, I don't know, I, I feel like Rowling was maybe trying to be a little too clever and throwing people off about Snape. She puts that scene at the beginning of the book, which really makes you think that, like, maybe Snape actually is evil, but then why are you showing this to me unless it's, like, a twist that he's not evil? You know, it's like, I don't know, it's like really laying it on, like, you know, how can you trust this guy or not? Right. I don't know if he necessarily needed. Well, it's like... It, you know, in Harry's from Harry's perspective, a lot of the stuff after that, it's it's a nice kind of tease. Like you're tricking the audience, but it's like once Harry overhears that conversation between Draco and Snape, he should have gone to Dumbledore right then. And the movie doesn't imply that he ever does, because every time he talks to Dumbledore, it's about either Slughorn or Voldemort or their well. Their quest. Dumbledore is away at the time. He does tell Lupin and the other Order of the Phoenix people, so. Who you tell know. him you, you can trust Snape? I know, but yeah. I feel like Harry should have stuck to his guns and been like, "I need a little bit more than that, guys." Well, I don't know if it's it's easier to set up in a book, but like he constantly suspects Snape through the previous five books as well. Yeah, yeah. And people are constantly like over and over again to the point where they get frustrated whenever he brings it up. So that's part of the reason why he doesn't press it. And he he does bring up his concerns about Snape to Dumbledore in this book too at various times. Okay, and Dumbledore is just like, "Look, I trust Snape." You need to accept that. Because he's the boy who cries Snape, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I just read that uh, Dan Radcliffe never cries real tears in scenes on advice that he got from Kenneth Branagh. Yes. Yeah, it's very British. <laughs> uh. But Jim Brombat, though, like, I, the one note I had from him, he's an interesting contrast in what he does with his face, like, uh, especially if you compare him to somebody like Richard Griffiths, who was just mugging for the camera mm -hmm. in all the scenes in the previous movies. Um I love the Luna stuff. Obviously, very, very brief. I love her lion headgear, her season <laughs> lion headgear. Um, I love the... I've never been to this part of the castle before, at least not while awake. I sleepwalk, you see. That's why I wear shoes to bed. Oh, which, yeah. You're so which weird. It's so weird, but it's like it's it's almost sadder when you think about how the fucking mean kids of Hogwarts stole shoes last year. <laughs> well, I like the bit at the beginning when they first get there. And she's just like, oh, it's like, you know, talking to a friend or something like that. And he's like, we are friends. Yeah. Oh, Luna's so sad. I, I think, mean, I liked... Huh. I was going to say, there, there's a bit... Well, I'll save it for Deathly Hallows. Um, okay. Yeah, we'll get to that. I liked all the stuff with Harry and Draco. I thought their dynamic worked well. I mean, I thought this was... This is a great movie for the Draco character. Because um, now he dresses like an evil businessman. He dresses like Voldemort dressed in that like little... Mm -hmm. Like fever dream thing that Harry had at the train station. Um, the problem is that... He's such a buffoon in all previous movies. It's like only now are you really feeling the 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 weight of the trauma of like I'm assuming his father is abusive in some sense, but also like what a family has to go You've through. You've really been dialed in on like the Draco is abuse thing. I, I am. Um that's your headcanon. Also the, the ministry, like why didn't the agents of the ministry confiscate the vanishing cabinet from the evil furniture store? Or like Based on Harry's lead, like, why weren't they setting up a wire and, like, having this place under surveillance? I mean, Harry's a credible source again, right? Yeah, but... Especially since Arthur why, said... Why would they confiscate a vanishing cabinet? Just because bad people are interested in it. Yeah, I don't think it works that way. But I mean, like, since Arthur Weasley could dispatch agents, like, why don't they have this place under surveillance? I don't know. 
You would I think mean, that I would assume there's like magical anti-surveillance measures you could take. But I mean, like whatever the ministry equivalent of the FBI is, you, I get that. Like obviously, Bellatrix is like a, a fugitive, right? Maybe mm-hmm. she's hard to find. But maybe you follow uh, Lucius's wife, like maybe because you know that she's like basically like a cartel widow or whatever. You figure she's got like uh, some shady leanings. She's associating with some bad folks. Follow her around. It, it should be mentioned that those other characters aren't present in Bork and Burks and Burks in the books. Okay. Uh, it's just Draco goes there. He sneaks away from his mother to go there. And like they, those other characters don't need to be around. All he needs, all Draco needs is he needs that fancy cabinet to stay there. He just basically t- goes in and tells the guy like, just tell me how to fix a cabinet like this. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause everything about them screams goddamn suspicious. Um, the, uh, the werewolf dude is really fucking werewolfy. Um, oh, I can't, I, I just didn't like that guy. I don't know. Something about his look annoyed me. He just looks like he's just central casting general thug. Also, I, I kind of hate that all the Death Eaters can just like fly as like black smoke. Yeah. Um, like in, in Deathly Hallows, Voldemort shows up flying and it's like a big deal. They're like, holy shit, Voldemort can fly. Um, uh, like the other, like they should just be on broomsticks or something. Just have, all the Death Eaters be able to fly is just kind of blah. Well, just in general, all like the destruction to the Muggle world, is that in uh, the book? Yeah, there's the first chapter of the book is called The Other Minister, where it's the okay. the actual Prime Minister of England is meeting Fudge. And mm. it's kind of like the, the, the real Prime Minister of England is kind of frustrated because there was like a recent uh, bridge collapse, you know, that kind of happened out of nowhere and like a strange mm. murder and like some other stuff. It's kind of like bad week for the prime minister and then fudge shows up and is like yeah that's actually all of us uh, it's a funny bit because like the prime minister he's very like kind of politically minded and he's just like well it must be going pretty bad for you then and fudge is like i got sacked three days ago you know like there's no way i'm still a minister well they they did mention in the movie that there's a new like ministry prime minister yeah scrimjower they Scrim-jower. they cast him it's, it's bill nye they, they cast him but they right. didn't uh use him they instead of have like a baffling scene with him in the next movie so who would you cast if you were to include that scene who would you cast as like the muggle prime minister uh hugh grant i was just gonna say that it's gotta sure be right I mean, yeah. <laughs> well i feel like the harry potter love actually mashup is mm-hmm. genius <laughs> yeah uh, speaking of love let's talk about love potions Okay, let's talk about love potions. They I feel like there's deadly. There's no limit to the depth you could potentially go into on love potions as a trope and the many, many different ways that they're fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, in this, there's a... What they don't include of Voldemort's backstory in the movie is that Voldemort was born of a love potion. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, his mom was a kind of like weird white trash witch named Merope. And she used a love potion on Tom Riddle uh, and basically like kept giving it to him. And so they ran off and got married, conceived a child. And then she finally wanted to like make it real. So she stopped giving him the love potion and do like immediately you know, left her. As you do. And, and so she had the, the child and, and just like died right afterwards. And there's this kind of like pretty fucked up implication that Voldemort is incapable of understanding love because he was like born of, you know, a love potion. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not the greatest mm-hmm. in general, but, um, 
I mean, just the idea of a love potion is so... I, I feel like the only way they get away with it is because it's the girls who want to use it. I, I don't think you could get away with having one of the, the boys on this show or on this uh, movie use a love potion. It would just be way too creepy. It'd be Ron, right? We're all thinking it. It'd be Ron. But, I mean, it's just so rapey. It's just... Uh, I mean, they, it, it wouldn't even be... It's, it's only rival. because of uh, kind of, you know gender stereotypes that they can get away with a girl using and it doesn't immediately seem like super creepy yeah it wouldn't even be ron's rival on the uh, quidditch team oh that guy cormac <laughs> with his comically gigantic broomstick with the vein with, you the, like... with the fucking vein on it yeah it's like can we make this look a little more like a penis he's like ron you never let your broomsticks touch yeah He's so creepy. And like at the slug club meeting where he's like licking his fingers and leering at Hermione. Like, uh, uh, like there's not a lot in, in compared to other stuff going on, like the Ron and Hermione, like they're not as dialed into the main plot lines, but like Emma Watson's comedic chops mm -hmm. in this movie are fucking fantastic. Like just the thing like, Oh, it gives you horribly bad breath. And she's just like scarfing them down. But even to the stuff where like her, like, her the things that she's excited about but then embarrassed because people witness her being excited about like when she's basically chosen by unconscious ron to like nurse him back to health <laughs> and she yeah. looks at harry and she's like oh shut up like yeah where is it in my notes here she has a uh she does like the satisfied smirk but trying to hide it yeah. like she has that down yeah and harry's the one who sees it yeah mm-hmm uh, and also, like, when she, she realizes that Harry's into Ginny, like, immediately, I was like that, and she kind of smiles to herself. <laughs> she sends the, uh, mm -hmm. the the paper birds, like, well, that, flying after Ron. That's the kind of thing that, like, is continuously followed up on in the book, where Harry suspects that, like, Hermione, like, knows that he's into Ginny, because she, she's always, like, just giving these, like, weird smiles and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really. Harry. He doesn't want to tell her about it, because she'd just be, like, far too satisfied. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, fucking McLagan. That guy, just future date rapist. He's so gross. Even more so than the guy we saw in, what was it, movie two, as the uh, the head of the, the Slytherin Quidditch team. With the oh, the like, weird goon? Yeah. Yeah, like the rapist Sabretooth? Yeah. Uh, or the, like the the, <laughs> the date rapey, like, walrus guy? Yeah. Well, just the fact that, like, he's he's obviously getting super handsy with Hermione at the Christmas party, mm -hmm. which is why she's trying to escape him. Ugh. Yeah, he's he's a physical being for realsies. Yeah, um, I feel like this guy is like trying to inherit the throne that was like uh, uh, left vacant by uh, Robert Pattinson on on the campus there. Kind of, yeah, yeah. He definitely has that pretty boy thing going for him. Um, let's see what else we got here. Did you notice there's a lot of like just really long shots in the movie? Not long takes, long shots like from far away. Yeah, kind of started to annoy me after a while. It's like I. I I kind of want to see these actors' reactions. Yeah, like when Harry's chasing after Snape and they're about to burn Hagrid's cabin. Why specifically Hagrid's cabin? Is it only because there's a connection to Voldemort back when they went to school together? Um, it it happens a little differently in the book, I think. I mean, I would think ha Hagrid's a half blood, things. so that that would be one reason they would hate Hagrid. But I mean, there's other He's half giant. There's other half-bloods on the way out. You know what I mean? There's yeah, but I mean, Hagrid's, Hagrid's an, he's a member of the Order of the Phoenix. He's a you know notable half-blood ally of Dumbledore. I uh, think like some of the stuff you're talking about, about the, the love potions and just the accumulated weight of the backstory that they have given you so far is, is reason alone that this should have been like, a, you know, at least 10 episode, <laughs> like, like, like season of TV. I think you could have really let a lot of these ideas play out 
and not have them all stacked up against each other for for easy like connecting the dots in the audience's mind like just let it be a slow burn of putting certain things together i I do think just with a better director and scripts you could have a movie of the same running time that just kind of has more kind of information per minute delivered Mm -hmm. uh like just kind of like i don't know more dense like when Dumbledore dies, we have like a minute of just like clouds in the sky at one point, you know. Um, yeah. It's just not very. Oh, and it takes some very efficient minutes, in its storytelling. Forty-five time. minutes to fall from the astronomy tower to the ground below. Yeah, I just, I just think a different director could have crammed a lot more information in and and more backstory. Well, I mean, like these are not. I, and this is probably something we'll get to in two episodes of the podcast. To me, these are not, on the whole, horrible movies. Could they have been better? It's kind of hackish. But if you talk about adapting a beloved fantasy series from the page to the screen, it's no Lord of the Rings. But I remember when Two Towers, the movie came out, we were talking about, okay, let's do the math. In less than a year, Return of the King will come out. How long (laughs) until they can remake these movies? Oh, I don't want to get into that discussion right now. How long until like you could attempt the harry potter tv show you know i mean at at least another 10 years i think okay yeah i mean bring back bring back radcliffe to play like uh uh quirrell or a snape Snape. yeah (laughs) i I don't know i just feel like there's it's kind of like hackish stuff like there's a lot of whisper acting which always like drives me insane um that's that's the other side of the british coin though right i guess i don't know i'm not a fan of it also like Excessive slow motion in a lot of bits. I just I don't know. It's just kind of like hack work. Um, one thing I did love: uh, Hermione's frazzled hair in the potions class. Yes. I kind of. I mean, that's theoretically Hermione's hair is always supposed to look like that, unless she's using some of that sleek easy potion. Uh-huh. Uh, she's supposed to have bushy hair. I I love that look. I kind of wish she looked like that all the time. Well, her like I said, her comedic chops are on point in this this movie. But like, especially since like Harry is violating the text, it drives her insane. I love that. Oh yeah, it's it's absolutely infuriating that he's better than her at potions. Uh, by I the love- way, speaking of uh, the sleek easy hair potion, there, mm-hmm. I guess in one of the recent Pottermore things, it was revealed that one of Harry's ancestors uh, basically like quadrupled the family fortune by inventing the sleek easy hair potion and then like selling it at a huge mm-hmm. profit. So Harry is basically like the trust fund Skyon of like a shampoo magnate. Is it Skyon or Scion? Scion, I don't know where. Um, on what side of the family though? Like, is this where like uh, Petunia is like? Okay, I was saying, is this where Petunia's like Muggle money comes from? No. Ah, oh, too bad. No, it's on James's side. Why exactly was Dumbledore asking Harry if he's hooking up with Hermione? Yeah, it seemed weird, especially since he's so perceptive about the uh, the fun night that he interrupted at the train station. Yeah, it's like, oh, sorry for cocklocking you there, Harry. Also, could you not, as a Lost fan, get an inference from Jack flying the planes, hoping they crash, from Harry like riding the trains? Mm-hmm. He's like sitting there drinking his whatever you know, Muggle underage juice, and just like, I ride the trains. I keep praying they'll crash. <laughs> Well, that is a huge variation from the book, because uh, obviously he would not just be allowed to like roam free in, in England. Yeah, um, he'd be under protection constantly. But I guess I don't totally hate it, just because it immediately establishes that like we're gonna do some things differently from the book. So just like let us tell our story, uh, like him like 
him flirting with the waitress is a bit much. Mm. I feel like it's just there to be like, chicks dig him. Yeah, I was... <laughs> I was like, I don't fully buy this attraction. It's like, oh yeah, this 16-year-old kid, the waitress is totally going to be into him. Well, especially since you know the the egomaniacal monster that lives within Harry's head. Mm-hmm. And what he must think of like slumming it for a night with this uh, this lovely uh, muggle girl. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would have loved if she was actually secretly a magical assassin. Oh, and then she tried to kill him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I'm just writing the season premiere of this TV show. <laughs> One of my notes just says, Dumbledore's memory sure has some weird jump cuts and zooms in it. It sure does, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, when, you're, when you're a memory addict that hard... <laughs> There's a there's another instance with jump cuts. What is it? Um, oh, when he's taking the potion at the end, when Dumbledore is being forced to use a potion, I'm not a fan of the jump cutting there. I feel like it kind of detracted from the dramatic moment rather than just showing Harry. I mean, you don't have to show like everything, but showing him constantly refilling the potion and making Dumbledore drink it. Like all the jump cuts seemed like it was like they were rushing through it. Grant, this is a visual medium. What in the book do they describe? Uh, as what Dumbledore's feeling. I mean, just agony. I mean, some okay. of the dialogue's essentially the same, just like pleading eventually, and like you know, I don't want to drink it, don't make me drink it, type stuff. And uh, but you really feel like in the book, it's like, oh my god, it's like there's another cup of potion, another cup of potion, and it's like over and over again, and you're just like feeling the agony uh, and kind of the horror that Harry keeps on having to force his potion down his throat. Where I feel like it would seem like they're just like rushing through it. By, I guess by I using those jump be, cuts. No, even more than the whole book, I'd be very curious to read that scene and, and read the language she uses because one of the things I liked about this scene in the movie is, and, and it's not necessarily because of the jump cuts, but I, I could never really nail down what Dumbledore was feeling mm. or if it was changing from moment to moment because at times it definitely felt like he was feeling physical agony. There was times when it felt like he was maybe in the grip of some kind of dementia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it, it reminded me a lot of you, you know, if you ever had to like, be a caregiver for like an elderly person or something who's yeah. going through something. I mean, it, it, like the they're not themselves, and it it feels horrible. But you have to be the one that forced this thing upon them. Um, it this was very, is another reason you should read the book. But this was like, this was like the scene that I feel like I most never would have expected in a Harry Potter. It's thing. very dark. It's very yeah. dark, and it's it's deliciously dark. But um, and I love that it's 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 ninety five percent just Michael Gambon being amazing. I wish they had included a little bit more of like, are you sure this is the only way? Yeah. You know, like he's just like, oh, yes, I have to drink it. Um, like a little bit of like showing like like Harry trying to reach his hand and like his hand just basically won't go into the water. Like it just like stops an inch above and he can't force his way through, you mm-hmm. know, just a little bit to be like, yeah, this is the only way. Like maybe him trying to just pour the potion out and it won't pour out. Right. Just so you know, like, yeah, this is this. It has to be this way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast, but I had read something where uh, right before Roger Moore, they had offered the uh, bond to Michael Gambon. I think you may have mentioned that on the podcast. I think so. I, know, I know you and I talked about it. Well, hmm. I'm sorry, for listeners. Uh, he turned it down because at the time he said he had tits like a woman. He <laughs> didn't want to get in shape. Nice. Which is exactly just... why Michael Gambon should have been bond. Let me just read you this this exchange here. Harry and Dumbledore tumbled, or Harry says, "You said Professor Slughorn would try to collect me." Dumbledore says, "I did." And Harry says, "Do you want me to let him?" And Dumbledore says, "Yes." 
<laughs> that's just so creepy. Well, there's definitely like if I hadn't seen other things dealing with like the British boarding school stuff, I would totally mm-hmm. agree with you. There's a weird to our American sensibility where we don't have that kind of education. There's a weird sexuality. It feels like it's being referred there. Like the uh, like Tom Riddle in the flashbacks almost seems like he's flirting for information with Slughorn. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's it's like like your intellect and your curiosity like directly correlates to like a, a sexual innocence slash experience. Um, but I've seen like uh, movies. There's one of James Mason called uh, Child's Play, which is not the Chucky movie. Um, where it's basically very similar stuff to this without magic, where it's talking about the ways that a teacher takes over a student's mind. And it's a symbiotic relationship. The student can also take over Mm -hmm. the the teacher's mind who's desperate to have an influence on the next generation. James Mason would have been great in the Harry Potter movie. But I like that there's not a lot of chitching subject. There's not a lot of Voldemort in this movie. Um, Yeah, not not directly. It's, It's... The whole, it's like for a year, Voldemort's just like, I'm going to give Draco this impossible task and just chill. Yeah. But I mean, for as <laughs> powerful, I guess it's a safe way to put it, as Ray finds his performance as present day Voldemort is, I was very relieved <laughs> to not have to deal with him. I, I mean, think I, it's, it's interesting to have a Bellatrix to take point on that. I guess his plan is basically like, as long as Dumbledore is around, he's going to foil anything i try to do so i'm gonna lie low and like gather my strength and like try to get somebody else to bump dumbledore off Mm -hmm. because he he has no clue that the horcrux thing is happening he doesn't know that that that's what dumbledore is up to right well and i think he you could say that he tested his powers against dumbledore's Mm. you know there in the ministry and it did not take (laughs) yeah um there's a quick moment where neville side-eyes lavender after the quidditch tryouts that i always liked Um, and she's just like like swooning over Ron and he's just like bitch please <laughs> uh, but yeah Harry has like no subtlety at all on any of his like previous tries with Slughorn to get the memory none just not an ounce of tact yeah yeah like Jesus Christ the, one of the bits I did like in the book is when he's going into the pensive and observing Voldemort he realizes that Voldemort is like a master of like charm and manipulation like he's very good at like getting people on his side and telling them things and it's kind of like harry knows that because he himself has tried to do that on occasion i would like to see another flashback showing that evolution from ray finds like sullen nephew who's mm-hmm. excited by fire and talks like this and then like the weird flirtatious like english boarding school like uh lothario that mm-hmm. he becomes with slughorn or even even the original Tom Riddle from from the second movie. Like those kids seem very polished. They seem very status quo compared to the antisocial little twerp that he was. Yeah, he he seems like I guess you could say and you you just get more of this in the book. You can kind of explore it more. It's when Dumbledore meets him when he's like eleven or twelve or whatever, mm-hmm. he definitely seems like a little creep. Mm-hmm. And it's like Voldemort essentially learns from that. He realizes that he is revealed too much of himself to Dumbledore. And so from then on, he becomes very charming and good with adults and to kind of like hide. That's very sociopathic. Okay. I mean, but I like, I liked a little bit too that Dumbledore tries to relate to him a little bit, kid. I, mm-hmm. I, I think that there is, you know, hero, villain, sociopath, normal person. There is a little bit of a symbiotic relationship there. Like, you know, you stare into that void 
it can kind of stare back into you and you can both be changed by it. Does is it implied more strongly in the book that Dumbledore knows where to go because of like the photographs in that flashback? Um well you get more or like the the seven rocks on the windowsill and all that stuff. What what you get is that before Dumbledore meets with young Tom Riddle, he meets with like the head nurse or whatever there, like the you know the mistress of the house. Mm. And he kind of gets her take on things and he talks about how Voldemort, like, you know, like people kind of, or Riddle, you know, they kind of whisper about him like he's, you know, maybe a little bit of a bully. And there was some incident where he took two other of the orphans to a cave with him when they're on like a, a summer holiday. Mm-hmm. And like the kids wouldn't say what happened, but obviously like something weird happened in this cave. And so you get more about this cave. It's not just like, like Dumbledore remembers the photo or something like that. It's you're more familiar with it and okay. and why Dumbledore or why Voldemort would want to go back there and like make that a resting place for one of his hallows. It's kind of like an important place to him. It's mm-hmm. like it's like first like, you know, malevolent abuse that he participated in was in that cave. Okay. And <laughs> the numerous like zombie corpses or whatever that were there. Oh, the the inferior, yeah, they never even mentioned like it's it's set up because this is like a kind of a new a new magical creature or whatever that's that's set up in this book. We hadn't really heard of the Inferi before this, and they kind of established the idea they're kind of like zombies, basically. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that that is set up so that later on when the Inferi show up, they make a little more sense. I mean, were they were they meant to be zombies? Were they meant to previously have been living human creatures? They're or... basically zombies in the book. I mean, they're okay. they're dead people that have been magically, you know, reanimated and controlled. Okay. Um. But yeah. Who do you think prepared that like perfect little feng shui breakfast for Ron before the uh, Quidditch match? Was that Hermione? No. No. Uh, no. I'm trying to remember. Is she mad at Ron? No, she wasn't mad at Ron then. Not yet. I... I I don't think she prepared it for him though. I don't know who. Maybe maybe Harry did, or maybe Harry had it done because Harry can't do anything with food. Um, is it? It's not Lavender at that point though, right? She doesn't like become Ron's girl until after. That not match. until after the match when Ron just completely betrays Hermione and starts making out with the first floozy to throw herself at him. Yeah, oh, yeah. Ron, you asshole! Right after they kind of you know set up a date, mm-hmm. it's gonna take him to the Christmas thing. Oh, fucking dick. Sorry, Ron, but you're just an asshole. I love I love this detail though, because this, this is before the big reveal. Or I'm reading here that uh, you know when they sent the script over to J.K. Rowling, <laughs> her primary note was take out the line about the girl that Dumbledore had a crush on when he was younger. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, who is Marcus Belby again? He was one of the other kids in the Slug Club. He was the one who was just like tucking into the like ice cream sundae and kind of like making a fool of himself and oh that kid the kid who's like uh uh uncle who mm-hmm. created something yeah that that actor tragically stabbed to death days after filming wrapped okay yeah <laughs> oh why i'm laughing it's kind of uh, sad <laughs> that reminds me there's a couple weird casting things in this um the kid who plays mclagan who is he he's in something else it's gonna bother me now. I'm gonna have to look this like up. A, a lifetime movie. One what? one of the actors in this is on uh, Fear of the Walking Dead. I think now. Oh. Like. God, there's so many people in this. Frank Delane, uh, young Tom Riddle. He's mm-hmm. on Fear of the Walking Dead now. 
Interesting. And let me see. McLagan is, he's in something like he just got cast. Oh, he's Dick on Tarly, uh, in, uh, Game of Thrones. He's Sam Tarly's little brother. Is he the one that everyone's like, he's like the hot guy or whatever? I guess, yeah. Okay. Huh. I, I mean, it's ironic that Ray finds his nephew's first name is Hero. Especially for this role. Hero. Hero protagonist. So yeah, what else we got here? Um, what did you think of Snape at the party? That kind of like it's a hilarious scene where he it's like he's playing it strangely, like he's basically just delivering a message to Harry. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going on there? Like, is he? It's almost like he he's being forced to do this. He doesn't want to, and so he just has this very kind of like strange affect to the whole scene. I was gonna say real quick. Flashing back here, uh, Dickon is a funny name. Yeah, like it should be like like that should be the short version. the The full name should be like Brain Off Dickon. But I think it's more like Dickon, but uh, Dickon. <laughs> what are you doing? More fun to say Dickon. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a weird comedic relief uh, scene of Snape when he's like one of the many threats just hanging over the movie, and then he gets his like he gets like vomit on his shoes. I just like the, like, Harry tries to sneak away and he's just like, Potter. <laughs> if he can't sneak around the uh, the thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Did, I think they were, like, maybe trying to set up a parallel with the whole Chosen One thing. Because, like, Draco is talking about how, like, he was the Chosen One. He was chosen by Voldemort. I think so a little bit. I think bit. that was, like, a, a stab that they just never, like, really devoted well, enough uh, effort well, think- to. I mean, it makes a lot of sense for Draco because, you know, Draco was probably the kid who went to his first year at Hogwarts thinking that he was going to live this charmed life of, like, mm-hmm. privilege, also being, like, Harry Potter important. I mean, like, like, he figured, like, him and Harry Potter could be bros because they're they're amazing white guys who are, like, you know, full wizarding born or whatever. And then it's like, well, like, like you know, famous families and, you know, famous important. families. And then as it progresses, you know. Not only is Harry like the real legend at at Hogwarts, but he's kind to the common man, and mm-hmm. is, I'm using this air quotes humble. Um, and Draco, and then he has like actual general, genuine like heroic qualities, which Draco, you know, is lacking and is made to feel bad for lacking. Um, it's like so, Draco's yeah. trying to write the story in his mind where he's the chosen one. Well, it's like he's finally getting the things that he knows he deserves, but it's like he knows it's wrong. Well, it's a nightmare for him, and he's not—he's not cut out for it. No, exactly, exactly. He's not cut out to be the hero or the villain. Um, He's—he's—I mean, in the future, doesn't he just basically like live like a like a normal mediocre life, like wife, kids? Yeah, basically, he's just a just a regular guy. But, but he's not—he's not evil. I mean, he's an asshole certainly, but he—he's right. not evil like Voldemort, and you know that—that that comes out father. in the next movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's why I think it's, it's a fascinating, like, Draco movie. I love it. Um, I love their reaction. I wish that you had more to play it out against. I love the sequence in the train. I feel like it's, I, I hate to say almost a little deserved on Harry's part. Yeah, it's a little cocky. The one thing I don't like about that sequence is that he uses the Peruvian instant darkness powder mm-hmm. when he has an invisibility cloak. Like, why did you need to use the powder? What was the I point wonder, of that? I was wondering, is it so he could, actually open the door and come in 
maybe i don't know i mean the door would open no one would come in it, it would be suspicious possibly yeah what exactly is the spell that he inflicts on draco that he learns from the book is it just to, like make you bleed out oh sectum sempra yeah it's like it's like a magical like cutting it's like you, you know you just like slice someone okay um it's used on fred no george in the next book okay uh, but yeah, it's just like like it just cuts you. Uh, that sequence, by the way, the Sectum Sempera sequence, mm. the most visually horrible sequence in any of the Harry Potter movies. Like it's so bad, you have no idea what's going on. The framing is just awful. Oh you God. know, <laughs> you know what movie I, I temporarily placed that scene alongside in my mind is the uh, the terrorist chase to the the public bathroom in True Lies. <laughs> Oh, don't that's insult! Don't insult Cameron like that. As man. they're destroying the toilet. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what they're going for. But uh, Cameron knows how to frame a shot. Oh my god! Could you imagine a James Cameron Harry Potter movie? That would be interesting, but I don't. I would love to see it on a technical side, but I don't like. I don't, I don't want. <laughs> I don't want James Cameron influencing the story of Harry Potter in any way. I don't feel like Jer- James Cameron can. Uh relate to human beings <laughs> yeah well I, I, this is this he's not the right director for this kind of material he's much more like pure visual storytelling i think um, i don't think fincher it, it would be he wouldn't like having to cram in a lot of plot no uh, let's see here so ron when, when ron's under the love potion he basically like even more of an idiot than usual. Yeah, if possible. Mm-hmm. If possible. Damn. I mean, how much of that fucking like love candy did he digest? Well, they what they set up in the book is that those were given to Harry like over Christmas, and he knew that there was love potion in them, so he just like put them aside. And then later on, he was like searching for the Marauders map in his chest and kind of like yanking shit out and throwing it behind him. And the those candies were one of those things, and they it was Ron's birthday, and they landed near Ron's bed, and he had all these presents out, and so he thought that that was one of his presents, and so that's why he ate them. And that's it, not how it goes in the movie, though. No, no, and it's also established that the the longer a person holds love potion, the more potent it gets, uh-huh. which is why it's like such a whammy on Ron, is because it, like they've just been chilling for a long time. Okay. Just yeah, the fact it... that they allow love potion to be sold at fred and george's like what the fuck of course they do come on fred and george of course they do well so what was the shop the death eaters destroyed in diagon alley oh um they that's them kidnapped wait you know trying to think because i just watched deathly hallows it's hard to confuse the two i think that's them kidnapping ollivander Oh, okay. I believe that's what was happening there i didn't think it was ollivander's shop from the first movie that we saw I was just wondering how that changes the economics of Diagon Alley. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's them taking Ollivander because it's established in the book that Neville gets a new wand because his is broken in the fight in Order of the Phoenix, and he says he got one of the last wands from Ollivander before he okay. like disappeared. Okay. Um, I guess uh, uh, it wasn't even a script thing, uh, but uh, a screenshot in there. <laughs> Stuff. Um, mm. Okay. That uh, uh, they had they had shown a scene or they in the movie where uh, Harry picks up Dumbledore's wand and then it was like then someone read the book. Yeah. <laughs> and they had to take it out. Yeah, really. I I think they like, mean, originally like, wanted him to take his wand and they're like, no, that's dumb. 
Well, I just love, well, I mean, it's the Star Wars thing, right? You always mm-hmm. pick up your fallen comrades, your homies, uh, lightsaber. But, uh, I just like, obviously, <laughs> for as much as I discard or just don't pay attention to, it's like there's a direct correlation of the book influencing the movie. Mm-hmm. Oh shit, we can't do that because of blah, blah, blah. Or just the fact that, like, the way these these universes diverge, they'll respond to a note from J.K. Rowling, like, don't have Dumbledore talk about a crush on a girl he had years ago. Yeah. What did you think about all the scenes of Draco, like, testing the vanishing cabinet? Do you think you needed those? Um, yes, but they were a little oblique. Um, they could have gone to... I don't know. I mean, it's 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 a nice. They're trying to like divert you from what you think is going on to what's actually happening. Um, I liked them though. I liked that it was just a moment for Tom Felton to do some on his own acting as he's like like powering through this this process over the course of the year. I mean, I didn't necessarily get the sense that he was fixing the vanishing cabinet as opposed to just seeing if the damn thing worked. Mm, okay. Um, I mean, that is a. A hard plot to hit. I mean, obviously in the book, because it's from Harry's perspective, you don't see that. But you need it for all the accumulation of that moment with Draco. And like Harry even picked up on, even though he's so thick, as Hermione points out, Draco wasn't going to pull the trigger. He was lowering his wand. Mm -hmm. So let's see here. Oh, just the the scenes with Harry and Ginny at the burrow over Christmas. It's like. They're just, you can tell they're really enjoying making all the romance stuff as awkward as possible. Yeah. Like, they're not, like, like she's, for some reason, she's going to, like, try to, like, feed him. Like, there's some weird, like, subservient Jenny things in this that I'm not a huge fan of. Right. Where it's like she's trying to, like, shove food in his mouth, and later on, she fucking ties his shoe for him. Um, yeah, she ties his shoe for him. That was infuriating. Yeah. That really bothered the shit It's out not of romantic, me. that's for sure. Well, that coupled with right in the vicinity is the line, has Ron gone to bed yet? Well, you know, they when he first shows up with the bloody nose, uh, and I, I like the bit where like Hermione's like smacking Ron for eating. Uh, he first shows up there and there's a just a brief shot of her like she's taking his bloody rag and she's wiping his face like that. That is on the romantic side. You know, it's like, oh, she cares about him. Her tying his shoes. Blood is it, love. It's like. You can't tie your own fucking shoes, Harry. Oh, it's subservient. There's the the body language and like placement of their various parts. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's all. Yeah, yeah, it's too old fashioned. Yeah. Well, and then you got Ron like totally salting Harry's game there, where like she's like shoving food in his mouth, and he just comes and sits right between them, clueless as always. Uh, was he though? I I wonder if this was like Ron's actually like he knows what exactly what the fuck he's doing. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like Ron is like, he's like a savant where like he doesn't know, but maybe subconsciously he does or yeah, something. I, I took it as, you know, eventually Ron will be okay at this relationship. But for now, he's going to sit right in the fucking middle of you two. But I feel like he's not consciously thinking that. It just like, it's like he does it without knowing it, but like maybe subconsciously he's aware, but he's not like really like acknowledging it himself or something like that. I guess that's the way I read Ron's character. Because otherwise he's just an absolute complete asshole. He's like unredeemable. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. Oh Jenny. I just mm. it's, so it's hard to it's hard to suddenly make her a real character when she's always just been like wallpaper in the background and 
And she's, I don't know, I, I like her character in the book more. She's a little firecracker in the book. She's super fun. Uh, and she she has her own way of interacting with Harry that's, like, different from, like, Hermione or, or the you know, Cho. Like, she kind of, once she kind of got over him the first time, she she has a little bit of power over him. And she knows how to deal with him in a way that, like, even Hermione wouldn't challenge Harry in the way that she does, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost seemed like this brand new character popped up in this mm-hmm. movie. And it, you're supposed to, like, give a shit. Um, well, it's... If they had established in the previous movie that, like, oh, yeah, Ginny's, she's actually become kind of, like, the popular it girl for her year, and, like, she's super charming and everyone likes her, I think that would have gone a long way, and obviously that would be hard to do in a movie that where she's not a main character, but if, if they could have just set her up as being kind of, like, somebody that everybody liked, then it would have made a little more sense that Harry would suddenly notice her. Well, I have a question about the room of requirement in this. Mm-hmm. Was it required for it to be like a storage warehouse? Like, uh, uh, why is everything stored in there this particular year and time? So let me ask you this. The room of requirement, does it make complete sense to you, like, what it does? Like, like th- th- has it been communicated that it changes based on what you need? Well, I mean, yeah, for each person. But the fact that it seemingly it's the exact same set and location for Draco and Harry... Mm-hmm. And it's obviously not just their junk forced in there. Yeah, what 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 they're in is when if you tell the room of requirement, I need to hide something. I need a place to hide. So this is what everyone's hiding shit. Yeah, this is okay. where everybody hides shit, which is really important. And they fuck this up. Harry is supposed to run in there with his potions book to hide it. Mm-hmm. And he hides it basically like right next to the uh, the tiara, the diadem of Ravenclaw. Uh, mm-hmm. like a horcrux like that's how he remembers that it's there later because he like he goes and hides the book and then he needs he wants to remember where it is just mm-hmm. in case it's it's not like he's like trying to like forget it like it's kind of different emotional sticks there he just needs to hide it from snape it's so not he, like uh jenny goes and hides it for him no no she's not there so he hides it and then he's like he wants to remember it so there's like this weird like wizard bust statue that he like sets on stop on top of the cabinet and then he puts a wig on it and a tiara on the wig be like all right i'll remember that and that tiara is the horcrux but he doesn't realize it at the time he only realizes it later okay because in the movie i mean i get that, that screenwriter magic you're basically going through the best of both worlds and tying mm-hmm. in the jenny stuff to that the impression I got was that in some way, whether the audience or the story knows it or Harry himself knows it, like the, the path he has to go on in year seven is is aware. It's 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 for it's destined, it's foreshadowed. And it's that Jenny is like this is their brand new love, it's secret, it's hidden away, but also this may be one of the things that he has to forget or hide. Like he obviously can't be with her in the classical sense where where he the roads he's going down. Yeah, it's it's obviously different in the book where, I mean, I don't know. I just personally like it more the way they come together in the book. is like after a Quidditch match, he goes to see if they won because he had detention. Mm-hmm. And like he opens the, uh, the the door to the Gryffindor Tower and everybody's cheering inside. And Ginny runs up to give him a hug because they won. And they just like start making out. Uh, it's a little more passionate, I guess you'd say, that rather than like some fairly chaste like kiss and then, like that's it. And then later, of course, he has to break up with her after Dumbledore dies because uh, he knows that she'll be in danger. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see. Dumbledore says confused. I'd be surprised if you weren't. It's kind of yeah. a meta line there. That should have been in the trailer. 
Mm -hmm. <laughs> confused? Read the book. Uh, let's see. I, I did love the bit where it's like Ron's been poisoned. He's in, you know, the, the hospital wing. And all of the adults are just standing around as this teenage drama plays out in front of them when Lavender shows up. Yeah. <laughs> like, just watching, like, Snape in the background, I just over and over again. It's hilarious. Well, it's so fitting, though, because, like, in Azkaban, the three kids are just watching these, like, these click mm -hmm. battle. <laughs> yeah, and Snape, now... Pettigrew and the other four. And now it's just, like, Snape and Slughorn and McGonagall and Dumbledore all just, like, watching as this drama is playing out and... Lavender is like begging for Ron, and then he calls for Hermione, and she runs off crying. And then Dumbledore just the Velvet Hammer. He's just like, oh, to be young, yeah. to feel love's keen sting. So I'm out. <laughs> a lot of like tie-in stuff is usually interesting to me, but like not ne necessary. Like I don't need to always go have like an art of Star Wars or like the mm -hmm. books of production design from Star Wars are always interesting to me. I don't know if I necessarily need to have them. Maybe if I was made of more money, that'd be interesting. But I would totally possibly be invested in a book of photos of just Dumbledore's past fashion. <laughs> because it's always different in the flashbacks and it's always interesting to me. Well, he's, I mean, he's not as flamboyant as he's described in the books. Like he's, he's wearing a lot of like grays and whatnot, whereas like I feel like he's more colorful in the books. Well, his, his look from Richard Harris to Michael Gambon is, is obviously different. The Richard Harris flashback in Chamber of Secrets where he's got almost basically like white guy Fu Manchu happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then this like slick motherfucking businessman <laughs> flashback. Yeah. I just, I mean, if you could throw in like Dumbledore and a kilt with a sword, like basically like a, like a Sean Connery Highlander look at some point. I think what you're saying is we needed to see Dumbledore in the 70s. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've already got the Order of the Phoenix who basically dress like they're straight out of the 70s. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, like, the 70s faculty of uh, prestige. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> oh, that would have been fascinating if, if you could have gotten those, like, Snape's worst memory type of flashbacks where they're all, like, dressed like they're from the 70s. Yeah. 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 I mean, great. but uh, I felt like you needed one more Voldemort flashback, like, from a different time period. It, well, they, they cut out the flashback that establishes the other two Horcruxes. Okay. Uh, Slytherin's Locket and Hufflepuff's Cup. Okay. Um... Yeah, he like he goes to visit a witch, like an old rich witch. This is like after he graduated and he's working for Borgen and Burks. He goes to visit this witch who has both of them. And he's like basically been like working on her and flirting with her, you know, for a while, it's implied. And mm -hmm. so she finally like kind of like, you know, shares this little secret that she has these. And of course, she's, you know, found dead a couple of days later and those two items are missing. And it's, it's to establish that he wouldn't just make anything a horcrux. He'd make something that had a lot of magical significance okay. into a Horcrux. I mean, uh, that reminded me, I mean, Rupert Grint, it's not that he doesn't have comedic chops. It's they're few and far between. I mean, I love his line reading of it's a creepy place. He's a creepy bloke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. His it's... Line reading, even his line reading of these girls are going to kill me is well done, even though it's like, oh, Ron, shut the fuck yeah. up. Well, it's too bad that they make him such an idiot constantly. Like, yeah. He, he could do with a few more moments of competence and like being a good bro. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, so is it Stuart Craig, I think, is the production guy. He's he's great. Mm -hmm. He's like the unsung hero, I think, of the Harry Potter series. He did a uh, Star Wars work, didn't he? I feel like that name's familiar. Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah. Speaking of Star Wars, the 
the bit where all the adults are just watching uh, Lavender get her heart crushed, it kind of reminded me a little of when like 3 PO's watching Leia kiss Luke in Empire. Mm. And he's just like looking at Han, looking at Luke and be like, you going to do something about this? Like, <laughs> kind of reminded me of that. Well, it's it's the great spectator mm-hmm. <laughs> watching the TV show play out around them. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot better than take my hand. Ugh. That bit with Jenny and Ron is, I don't know, it's, I feel like they were doing a really good job building like the kind of awkward teens tension and whatnot. And then they just like got really sappy with the, the Harry and Jenny stuff. Well, this is also, I believe, this is a big part of our Goblet of Fire podcast. I, I could be wrong, and somebody can feel free to correct me. In the movies, I believe Harry is the first one to verbally address that you can, you cannot apparate inside of Hogwarts. Yes. And then, of course, Michael Gambon totally sells. There are some benefits to being me. Yeah, that's a little lampshade there. Even in the book, he doesn't do that. Uh, they actually have to walk to Hogsmeade to apparate. Okay. Which, <laughs> which then, like, cause, I mean... We're, we're, I'm saving this for the end, but I, it might make one change. It's going to be at the end of the movie. Um, but basically, they, they have to apparate from Hogsmeade. They apparate back to Hogsmeade when Dumbledore is all like fucked up from the potion. Mm-hmm. And they look up and they see the, the dark mark, Voldemort's mark, above the astronomy tower, which is okay. why they go there. Love that which, set, by the way. Yeah, which is also why Draco knows that they're there. Huh? Because they, you know, they set the mark to, to lure Voldemort there. Hmm. Because otherwise, it's like, why did Draco know to go to the Astronomy Tower? Hmm. Don't ask too many questions. Can I just say that 10 galleons for a leaf of that, like, uh, tentacular or whatever that thing was? That's a lot. 10 galleons a leaf? A a lot of the... How much money did he fucking spend on the, the candy cart in the first movie? Yeah. The economics is bizarre. Like, you're spending a small fortune for nothing. I can only imagine what a magical cheeseburger costs. Like a chest of gold. <sighs> One thing that bothered me, um, the ring reacts to Harry. Mm-hmm. And is like kind of foreshadowing that Harry's a horcrux and whatnot. Um, it shouldn't because it was no longer a horcrux. Like, the soul inside of it had already been destroyed. So it shouldn't react to him. Mm. It's the One Ring. I gotta say, the uh, firestorm Dumbledore conjures up. Yeah. Pretty fucking badass. I I did like that visual. It had uh, just almost like biblical and it's like just crazy power. It kind of reminded me a little of like the magician's assistant type of thing, you know, just like him swinging his wand around with like fire everywhere. Yeah. He's like, he sells to me a lot of the magical elements of the Harry Potter universe. Mm -hmm. A lot of them I, I, you know, I'll debate here and there. Like, purpose of them but it, like something about michael gammon's performance he really sells that dumbledore is this all-powerful awesome obi-wan it's definitely his like most gandalfish moment too yeah yeah um i don't know if i mentioned i really like the uh just a quick bit of harry and ron fighting for the book in slughorn's class yeah that that was a nice little moment uh that it's like you could see them not doing that because you didn't need to but it was like hey a character moment yeah I mean, it, it doesn't like it doesn't belittle their friendship. It's mm-hmm. of course you're gonna fight for like the non fucked up book. Yeah, because that's what teenage boys do. Exactly. Um, are you ready for character rankings or what, what's next? Almost a few more. Um, Snape waving off Harry at the end on the tower. 
that to me is a really interesting final betrayal. Um, it plays out differently, and I'll, I'll just get into my make one change here because this is all kind of related. Okay. Um, if I could make one change, it would be to fix the ending, not only with uh, Dumbledore being killed, but the kind of the fight and flight of the prince afterwards. Like, there's supposed to be like a whole fight uh, in Hogwarts at this time because the Death Eaters have shown up and. Uh, some members of the Order of the Phoenix and Harry's Dumbledore's army people are all fighting. Mm. And that's all happening in the background while Dumbledore dies. And then Harry basically rushes out, you know, like, you know, races after Snape, kind of like goes right through the fight that's happening and just runs right through it. Um, I just wish they could have done that. And they basically said they cut out the fight because they didn't want to, like, take away from the Battle of Hogwarts and Deathly Hallows. Mm. To me, that is bullshit. I feel like that's David Yates saying he just doesn't know how to film it. Um, I think it it would have been so much more effective. It's like you're feeling this just like shock and grief and like mania after Dumbledore is killed. And like Harry's like running through Hogwarts as people are battling all around him. He's like jumping over like bodies and like ducking under curses and just ignoring all of it to chase Snape. Uh, and you could have done it would have been a really great chance to establish the geography of Hogwarts. A one uh, like a one take scene. Oh my god! I mean, just imagine somebody like Koron doing a, a long shot through the school to kind of show you basically the reverse of what you would be getting in Deathly Hallows. You know, you you're kind of establishing the geography so that you can call back to it later in Deathly Hallows. Them mm-hmm. defending the school. Well, such as they haven't done that in a way since Koron. Mm-hmm. And just, I mean, they cut the fight because they, you know, they didn't want to like step on Deathly Hallows, but you don't necessarily need to like do a big battle. You just need Harry to run through it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, it could have been so good and so effective because he's like full of rage. I mean, it's just like Snape, you know, like, like screaming, like you coward. He trusted you. Like imagine that as he's running through a battle and just, you know, stuff's happening around him left and right. I just feel like it would have been so much better than. Suddenly, like, cut to them in the woods, and then it's just like, I am the Half-Blood Prince, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, we fucked up your cafeteria. Now we're going to blow up this, like, uh, drunkard's, like, thatch cabin. Mm-hmm. And then we're out of here. Yeah, and basically the, the start of that would be up on the tower. Dumbledore, Harry is under the cloak, so Snape obviously doesn't see him. I kind of do like Snape waving Harry off, though. Mm-hmm. It's such an interesting final betrayal because you're like, oh, shit, like, like it's it's so subtle for Snape to do that rather rather than having Snape try to, like, stun Harry or something. Mm-hmm. He just like, no, I got this. And then he just goes up and kills Dumbledore. Yeah. Um, I don't know why David Yates decided to, like, frame the actual curse that hits Dumbledore where, like, you can't even see his body because the stupid, like, telescope is in the way. Yeah. Uh, it's just I, it's, I uh, what are you doing, Yates? Now, no, you're going to see the slow-mo fall. The slow-mo fall is good. It's also basically ripping off... Uh, Die Hard. Well, and also... Um, Alan Rickman in Die Hard. Alan Rickman in Die Hard. Also uh, Gandalf falling in uh, Felger of the Ring. Yeah. But to not actually show the curse hitting him, like it's it's such a weird choice. I don't know. It's like you barely see his body fly away, like kind of like on the corner of the it's frame. It's like they're they're really trying to play up how far and helpless, how far away and how helpless Harry is. I guess, yeah. To me, it's just like this is a big moment. Could you at least put it on screen? <laughs> um, but that, but basically, what, what the way it's played in the book is that Harry's under the cloak, and then when Draco shows up, Dumbledore he uses his wand to 
frees Harry, the Petrificalus Totalis. Mm-hmm. He does that spell on Harry, and then uh, Draco knocks his wand out of his hand. And it's like that was his last act, was not to defend himself, but to freeze Harry in place so he wouldn't be seen, which is always a really interesting choice by Dumbledore. That was that was his last move as a magician, was to protect Harry rather than himself. Right. And, of course, him getting his uh, wand knocked away is very important in the Deathly Hallows. So that that would be my one change is to just fix the ending. What about you? Um, I would have changed like the the the, the how dark some of the scenes <laughs> were. Um, and like I said, I would have added in something more with Dumbledore because it, it it the I didn't have a problem with the scene of him as a boy in the orphanage. You mean Voldemort? Voldemort, sorry, yeah. Yeah, um, both both you and I are constantly saying Voldemort and Dumbledore in the wrong places. Um, I wouldn't have a problem with that scene. It's that it was much like the the truncated Snape memory flashback gasm mm. in the previous movie. It's like it was like here's our our bookmark. Just to let you know, there's more here. We as filmmakers don't have the time or the skill to really get into it, mm-hmm. but uh, we're covering our bases because that shit's there. Yeah, it that's a bookmark is exactly Especially, the right way to put it, I think. I mean, cuz it's not it's not just looking for I mean, you're you're literally looking for the the keys of this character's soul. So you're you're getting into him, you're finding out how to kill him, but first you have to get to know him. Mm-hmm. Essentially, and it's like that seems very crucial to me to see more of this character and to really hit home, you know, his fear of death, his his being a stranger to the very idea of love. Well, and I think there's a lot of thematic resonance there in that there is so much similarity between Voldemort and Harry. Like, Harry understands why Voldemort loves Hogwarts, because he loves it for the same reasons. Mm-hmm. It was, like, the first place that felt like a home to him. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, that shows how Harry can understand Voldemort in a way, in a very personal way, because they're they have so much similar about them and of course harry the difference between them is that harry is basically selfless and Voldemort is very selfish but i think they both get a, a boost of confidence something internal feels justified it's not just that they belong it's that it, it lifts them up i mean because obviously Voldemort's well, I, they should have gotten more they should have sold in the cinematic universe of harry potter more about the idea of Voldemort sees love as old magic mm-hmm. it's a way it's like a spell you cast on somebody to, to bend them to your will well he um, sees it as like beneath him and like not worthy of knowledge uh, yeah. about i feel like other than ray fines because he's fine you know he's not he's not bad and he's what you got mm-hmm. um how great would benedict cumberbatch been as Voldemort? oh yeah Just yeah basically playing his sherlock <laughs> Man, yeah, Cumberbatch would have been good. Oh, and he I mean, even actually looks like young Voldemort a lot. Yeah, yeah. Man, I'm just going to think about that for a while. Uh-huh. I'm just saying you fucked up, David Heyman. I mean, Ray Fiennes, is, he's fine. He's fine. Um, Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Just saying, it's not Benedict Cumberbatch. Why are you cool cast Benedict Cumberbatch's M Bond too? Why not? My favorite Ray Fiennes moment is in Strange Days. When uh, like somebody's in his house, and so he grabs a gun from under his bed, and he's like out in the hallway, 
Mm. And then he like he looks and sees that there's no clip in the gun. He's like, oh, shit. He runs back and gets a clip. I don't know. You, you have to watch the movie, but that's my favorite Ray Fiennes moment. If I could quote Elaine Bennis talking about the English patient, sex in a bathtub? That doesn't work. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I guess it's time for power rankings here. Uh, okay. Nine. You have nine. I have ten. Okay. You go first. Uh, my number one is Dumbledore. Also, I have to say because I don't have my notes anywhere else, but right here, I like that his portrait in his office after he dies is just him asleep in a chair. Well, it feels fitting. I mean, later on, he's gonna wake up, of course. Uh, the only thing that would have made be it useful, better, but it, for him to have like just died, it feels correct that he should be sleeping. Yeah. It, the only thing that would have made it better is if he had like an open book in his lap. Mm, yeah. Anyway, that's that's my number one. Uh, my number one is Snape. <laughs> I give it up for Snape. I think he's been my number one at least three times now. Yeah. Yeah. Go Snape. I really like Alan Rickman's performance, and I think he's done something very subtle in the last few movies, uh, like since uh, Goblet of Fire, where he's allowed Snape's character to have just tiny little hints of kind of uh, anxiety. Mm-hmm. or concern not necessarily for harry but like he definitely like i mean he's he's walking a really fine line with voldemort mm-hmm. uh, and i feel like alan rickman's performance portrays that in very subtle ways like he's subtly different from he was from what, what he was earlier in the movies and i think he does a great job of portraying the kind of the mental state behind his usual like sneering facade. I mean, he's basically the Alan Rickman version of DiCaprio and the departed. Yeah. There you go. As for that subtle performance, I will attempt to penetrate your mind. Um, my number two is Snape. Yeah. My, my two is Dumbledore. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I think we're, we're pretty close there. <laughs> uh, my number three is actually Harry. Me as well. Um, because he's finally, not finally, because he was in the in the fifth one too, as opposed to the fourth one. But he's he's in it. You he know, trusted you. I mean, like you're you're feeling the journey with him. He's not just a spectator, um, even though parts of it he is obviously. But like he's also he's the point man. He's pushing this. He's learning things. He's discovering things about himself and others. It's like it's such a difference from Goblet of Fire, which you know. Yeah, yeah Goblet of Fire really just seemed like it's just like this clueless asshole. He's just like yeah. standing around watching shit happen. To Which him. is saying a lot because it's a movie full of coolest assholes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you thought we were done shitting on Goblet of Fire. You were wrong. Uh, my number four is Draco. Okay, my. Oh, wow. I don't even have Draco on this. Sorry, Draco. Uh, go ahead and talk about Draco. Uh, just because it's a very mature performance, finally, from Tom Felton. He. I mean, you got a little bit of. Other aspects of him in the first movie, I felt like, but everything since then, he's been this cartoonish, goofy fucking villain mm-hmm. with bleach blonde hair. Like, I mean, in this one, he's he's doing some dark Eminem music well, him, video acting here. Him like kicking Harry in the face and breaking his nose—that was like, oh shit, Malfoy's yeah. leveled up. Yeah, seriously. But also, just you know, I, it could have really been unearned the bit in the bathroom. He's just staring in the mirror and having a moment before Harry shows up. And mm-hmm. I felt like they, they got it. They deserved it. Yeah. yeah my, I actually have eight. I'm sorry. Okay. My number four is Hermione, of course, because I love Hermione. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's just lots of fun. Even though Ron is complete shit to her, she still likes him. Though my one complaint, I think with their kind of whole story is, 
on the one hand, like, yes, it does kind of seem like they're like kind of together, but not totally. But like the way they like walk back his whole like calling out for her to be like, oh, I don't remember what happened. Mm. Kind of feels like bullshit to me. Oh, I'm sure it's bullshit on Ron's part. Oh, you think it's bullshit on Ron's part? Okay. I, I was I was thinking just bullshit on like the writer's part. Like they didn't want to commit to it yet. I could see where Ron is a little like like we said, he's a savant. He's a little bit more aware. Or he's probably I guess, thinking of like, himself. Ron's he's probably, fucking in love with Hermione. Why would he walk that back? Because he's for whatever he's reason. A coward. He's, these two aren't running into each other's arms constantly. Yeah. I could see where Ron's like, whatever happened that night, I sure shit as hope I didn't like make a fool of myself and call it Hermione's name. I hope she doesn't know. Hmm. Okay. I guess. Because I could see, like, the stuff you're talking about, like, from Ron's clueless, dumbfounded, dim perspective, mm-hmm. he thinks that Hermione possibly hates him half the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, by the by the end of the book, I mean, there's they're not together, but, like, at, at Dumbledore's funeral, like, she's, like, crying, and he's, like, comforting her and stroking her hair. It's like, it's like they're not, like, officially together, but, like, they're obviously, like, emotionally together already, and they just haven't, like, made it official. And Harry's like, look, guys, this is my quest, okay, that we're about to embark upon, and you've already made me the third wheel, mm-hmm. you sons of bitches. Oh, I can't wait to get to the next movie for that. Um, oh, yeah. Just, just the <laughs> watching Harry and Hermione have sex in the vapors. Yes. <laughs> uh, what are we on, number five? Number five. My number five is Hermione. Okay. I've got Slughorn. Okay. All hands on deck, Ranger. <laughs> uh, he's just fun. I I really like Jim Broadbent. He just he shows up and does Jim Broadbent things, and it just works. I would love to see. I would love to hang out with Jim Broadbent for a night where he's dressed like a chair. <laughs> I like how he's just like a lot of memories in this bar. Even back when it was one broomstick, and he's like, "Oh shit! I just told you guys I'm a drunk. Never mind." <laughs> and then Hermione, just for some reason, that scene, she's like chugging her butter beer. Yeah, yeah. But just the, I wonder the, if they like there was more that they cut out of that or something. The drinking habits of the entire uh, uh, Hogwarts like faculty mm-hmm. amazes me. Like that's that needs to be like the uh, thirty page pamphlet for a charity that that J.K. Rowling writes next, which then will be turned into like a three part movie mm-hmm. by uh, WB in ten years. It's just all the faculty like sneaking out to Hogsmeade to get plastered every night. you know they all partake of the spirits. You know they do. Well, no, you can't get too drunk at school because the kids are around, so you gotta go to Hogsmeade. But it's not like they're driving Tying anywhere. On. They're not yeah. driving anywhere. They can just stumble home. Yeah, you wouldn't want to apparate when you're drunk. It sounds also, there's clearly like bordellos above <laughs> the tavern there. Um, my number six is Ginny. Oh, okay. Sorry, Ginny. You're you're a lot lower on my list. My, I, you know, I I did make a mistake. She should have been switched for my number seven, but she's my number six for some reason. I mean, I'm glad they finally made her a character because they had to. Yeah. I just I don't know. It's like well, it's, they did they did the minimum necessary. Yeah. There's like a, like a gun. This David Hayman and and Steve Cloves' head here. Mm-hmm. At least this was the movie where I finally felt like. The aging process, the natural aging process of mm-hmm. children from adolescents to, to teenagers caught up to Bonnie Wright. It didn't feel creepy. Like she looked like she belonged in the scenes of like Daniel Radcliffe. I mean, some of that's just makeup and hair, though. Like if they had wanted to make her look a little older, they could have. It seems like they're going out of her way to make her look really young. She I don't know something about her appearance 
which I'm not by any means criticizing Word of the Phoenix, she still felt like too young mm-hmm. to the point where if like they had written any kind of scene of her Daniel Radcliffe, I would have been like, ugh. Yeah. Uh, my number six is Luna, just because Luna's great. Nice. And her like weird little like birthday cake dress she's wearing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she's amazing. And, there, there. <laughs> and just her comment about like, it's almost like we're friends. I just, I don't know. I love that. There's a, there's like a deep, like depressing sorrow, like lurking behind Luna, but she puts on a, a happy face to it. Yeah. She's not, she's not beholden to it necessarily. Um, mm. my number seven is actually Slughorn. Okay. I'll I have in here. Cool. Sorry. I have Ron as seven. Ron is not on my list at all. Really? I felt like throwing Ron a bone. I mean, he, he has his moments and he, he has to like suffer, like putting up with McLagan. So you're like lavender here. <laughs> yeah. Throwing Ron a bone. Sorry. Poor Ron. He's just like, oh, my lips are getting chapped from all, chapped from all the making out I'm doing. Harry's just like, you could, you know, just dump her. Yeah, stop snogging her. Mm-hmm. Idiot. Oh, uh, we're on number eight. Yeah. My number eight is Bellatrix and Narcissa. Okay, yeah, I just have Bellatrix or eight, but yeah. It's Helena Bonham Carter doing him Helena Bonham Carter things. Well, it just it fascinates me again that Helen McCrory, who I, I love in things, Helen McCrory was originally cast as Bellatrix, couldn't do it, so mm-hmm. they cast Helena Bonham Carter. And then I guess they went to Naomi Watts for... Um, that was like a rumor, yeah. Yeah, Narcissa in this one. But yeah, um, so we both have a Bellatrix, or Bellatrix as number eight, and I just mm-hmm. added Narcissa. My number nine is Luna. Okay, I actually, I lied. I do have Draco on here. I just, I wrote him down as Malfoy because that's how I think of him. Fucking Malfoy. He's number nine for me. My father will hear this. Yeah. And then my 10 is Voldemort, actually. Okay, my 10 is Ginny. Ooh. Yeah, sorry, Ginny. But also, sorry, Voldemort, you didn't even rank because you're barely in this movie. But I mean, he, me- I guess he is. He's just in flashbacks, right? Yeah, he's just in yeah. flashbacks, but still, like, the idea of him just permeates this entire movie and it, i don't know mm-hmm. it resonated with me in some way all right so that about does it we'll be back next time to talk about harry potter and the deathly hallows part one mm-hmm. for once we're going to get a two-part version of one of these long-ass books where they they had they had some time to go into things a little more um, so this was the one that started that that like let's break up the final book into two movies then you I, had I guess you could say it. it started that trend, although I feel like it was much more necessary in this case than in some of those other cases. Because Deathly can't... Hallows does just have a ton of plot in it. We will probably do the Twilight movies at some point on this mm-hmm. podcast. Um, I can't imagine it was necessary for those. Yeah. Um, I know they're doing it with the Divergent movies, but the difference is, rather than part one and part two... I believe that they've titled. They titled it differently. Yeah, they titled one of them Allegiant and then Ascendant. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and also the was it Mocking? No, uh, Mockingbird, Mockingjay. Mm-hmm. Mockingjay. Yeah. Mockingjay, which is probably what we're going to do after Harry Potter. Yeah, we're well, probably going to do Hunger Games after this, and I think it will line up right so that we can do Mockingjay Part Two. Mm. Um, but yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. I think we got a couple more reviews. Let me just take a quick look here on iTunes. Uh, if you like the podcast, by the way, please feel free to rate or review us on iTunes. You always appreciate it. And we got, I think, three since the last time we podcast. We had uh, ES Blinus or ESB Linus. I don't, I don't know. Um, thank you to them. Thank you to Hanny, Marie B, and Casey Ann. Uh, all three five star reviews. Really appreciate 
And it's always nice to get feedback, so thanks for that. If you want to get in contact with us on Twitter, we are at HeadCannonPod. And you can find our website page. It's broswatchpll2.com slash headcanon if you want to find the posts for each episode and leave a longer comment. Feel free to do that there. Got anything else, Marco? No, just looking forward to our next one. Um, I'm talking about more hair Yeah, definitely. We'll be back soon. Bye-bye.